The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let brb homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This week's episode of the Big News Coming Soon podcast covers a number of serious topics, including drug and alcohol addiction, crime and life in prison. Some listeners may find it distressing. Hello and welcome to the Big News Coming Soon podcast and this week I'm delighted to be joined by a man called Peter Townsend who is a recovery coach based in County Sligo. Peter, thanks a million for joining me. Thanks for having me, Alan. Thanks I came much. across you on TikTok. You are a rising star on TikTok, even though I know you won't, say it, you won't admit that yourself. But I came across a rant one night where you were talking about recovery and you were talking about being in jail for a while and the, the justice system. And I, I said, he's an interesting man. And it's very hard to find people that are open and that aren't afraid to tell their story. And I think you're going to have a very good story for us today. So tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Where are you from? I'm from Sligo. Um, originally from Sligo. Grew up here. I lived here until I was 20 and then moved to Scotland. I was in Scotland for a couple of years. And what age are you? I'm 40 now. I turned 40 on Friday. For another man. Jesus, yeah. the fella I had last week looked was 50 and he looked 30. You're 40 and you look 30. <laughs> nice one. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, it must be the Botox, is it? Or, no, uh, I think the drug, drugs kept me looking very young. <laughs> oh, Jesus, don't go saying that. <laughs> Let's go back to school time then. Right. Were you a pup in school? I was a nightmare in school. I was a pup from primary school onwards. Like my parents will always remember that. Um, they used to get called in and get a bag of stuff. I'd fidget with the whole way through class. Like I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't sit still. I'd fidget. I'd act up. I'd be the monkey of the class. I'd be the class clown. I'd be anything for the attention, and for that limelight that I that I seeked. You know, and I wouldn't mind, but I had loads of love and care and compassion at home. But there was just something about me. There was something missing inside. There was that internal malady that I couldn't that hole and um, I look for it elsewhere so even in school yeah in primary school I was like into secondary school it got worse and worse and then as I was about 13 and uh, in secondary school I found cannabis found hash back then there was no weed or anything back then it was just lumps of hash and I loved it it took me away from me and I loved that so much I couldn't get enough of it so I started getting involved with the older crowd around started selling it just so I could have it started getting in trouble Um. I was involved in violence in school. I was kicked out of school in second year here in Sligo. And um, yeah, I was involved in a, in a fight and they'd had enough of me. I've had loads of warnings in the school system. I was in detention. I had suspensions. Wouldn't do what I was told. I suppose I had this thing against authority from a very young age. I, I don't know why. I just didn't like it. Didn't like getting told what to, what to do. I knew best. 
And um, yeah, second year came, I was kicked out. So Second year? Second year, yeah. I was kicked out. I was told, right, you're not allowed to come back here now. So um, you're about 14, is it, at the stage? Or? About 14, yeah, about yeah. 14, 14 a bit. Um, so that happened. Then to go to another school, find another school, I got sent down to Jarlitz and Tune, St. Jarlitz and Tune, boarding school, kind of like, get them out of here. Yeah. And um, that was grand. I hated the boarding part. I excelled at the school part. Um, I hated staying there. Um, but I excelled at the school and I enjoyed the school part of it. Like the academics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The academics. I, I enjoyed it. I had good teachers who took an interest. I wasn't stupid, as to say the word. I was clever. Like I'm able to look back and say that now. If years ago, I wouldn't. I would have said, no, I, was just, I just didn't have it. But now I can say, yeah, I was clever. I, w- I had a brain between the ears. I just was a messer. And, um, you know, I've learned now and I'm able to reflect and I know why that's happened. Like So... But yeah, look, so I was there and then that happened and because I was still involved with hash and with dealing and that, I brought hash down to the school and I was selling it from the school to the other boarders and I was involved in that and I got involved with people in the local area tune, bringing hash down from Sligo to them. Yeah, I finished my junior cert there and there was something found in the dormitories and they got in contact with me here in Sligo and I said, look, you can't come back here. Like, we know what you were doing. You can't come back. So you're selling and transporting hash yeah. during your junior cert? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Have you any siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. Yeah. What, is she older or younger? She's older than me, yeah. She's right. older, yeah. Did you get on with her growing up? Yes and no. Yeah, we got on. We had sibling like issues. And stuff. What's the issues, age gap like, between you? Uh, four years, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's not too bad. No, yeah. no, it's grand. And what kind of relationship did you have with your parents? I had a, I suppose I had a good relationship. They were always there for me. My parents have never given up on me, which... I can't, I don't understand. I like, I've put them through some amounts, like, as I tell you. Well, it's fair to say the people that have gone down your path wouldn't have had a father or a mother figure yeah. or had that support growing up, yeah. but you did. Oh, I did. And I, you, I had a mother and a father that were together. I had great love and care from the home. I come from a home where you didn't want, I didn't want for anything. Like, I had the love, I had everything. Like, it's, I don't know, as, as the Irish say, a good home or a good family, you know, and I had everything. I'm not from that stereotypical broken home or violence in the home or drugs or, or um, addiction in the home. I had none of that. I didn't see that growing up. But that wasn't enough for me. I, I, I wanted everything from the street. I The love I had at home, I suppose, I put back. I didn't want. And then I wanted the love from the street. I wanted to be this big man. I wanted to be involved with the people who were, who, who to me looked like big lads and like scary fellas and this, I suppose, gangster persona. Where do, you, where do you think that came from? Where do you think... I don't know. I've thought of this for a long time and I don't know. So, like, I'm adopted, right? So, I found out at a, at a young age. So, looking back and reflecting on it now that I'm able to, and now that I've been in a place to do a lot of internal work, I think when that happened, something inside me says, I don't fit in here. This isn't my home. This isn't my family. I didn't fit in. When did you find out you were adopted? About nine or ten. Yeah. How did you find out? I was told, like the, my family told me, in a nice way to set it down, all the way the social services would tell you how to do it. And like way back then, that would have been uh, the 1990s. And I Jesus suppose... Jesus, Peter, that must have been tough. It was... Nine years of age. Yeah, it was... Um, is that what they do? Is that what, Oh yeah, that's how it was back then. This is what they told you how to they do it. They tell you at nine years of age? About nine or ten, yeah. They, they, told, they, they used to set it up that the earlier, earlier you're told, the better and all of this and to, to integrate it into the... And not to make a big deal out of it and all that kind of thing. No, I think th- things... Might have might have changed now. I don't know. Right, but back then that was the way it was, and I've a lot of it's friends. Just the first thing that. that comes to my mind is how would you have the mental capacity to deal with that at nine years? You of age? don't. 
and yeah. I think I think I shut down. Right. Like looking back. Now, now we're getting to it. Yeah. I, yeah. Th- I think I shut down and um like I have a great relationship with my family. My family are my world and they've been so supportive. But back then I couldn't see that. Hmm. Um it wasn't a case that there was no love there. There was loads of love. I just couldn't feel it. I couldn't accept it. I couldn't hold it in. I wasn't able for it. And I, I think now, looking back, back then I wouldn't have been able to process this at all. I wouldn't have had a clue. But I think now this is where I went looking for it elsewhere, that I was trying to fit in, that I was trying to create that okay. family. Like I used to have a lo- like delusional thinking that um, like my birth parents my, were gangsters and they'd have to let me go and all this mad storytelling in the head. And yeah, I think that's where it came from. And then I wanted to... Like, I saw how people re- were responded around these people I was involved with, and I was like, oh, I like that. Like, I like that um, respect, but it wasn't. It was more fear, and I, I like that, and that's kind of where it went. And I, I craved that, and I went on to crave that throughout my teenage years and into my 20s. And I'll say to people, be careful what you wish for, because you're going to get it. So into my 30s, I got all I craved for. Like, I was involved with people and things, and I was in a world of crime and drugs and firearms and violence and prison systems and before we get to that you you said something earlier on when you were in Tume you said you were selling it to have it yeah so you had to sell a bit in order to be able to afford a bit oh yeah to have a bit to smoke like yeah and it'd normally go to like smoke too much and not have enough to sell so I'd be in debt like that's how it was I I couldn't get enough of it from the get-go and how does a 13 year old go about buying cannabis in Sligo the people I was going around with at the time were selling it. It was easily got. It was very easily got. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't hard to get. I don't know. Is it easily got now? I'd say so. I don't know. I'm not in that circle, but I'd say so. Like, from what I hear, um, cocaine is the new cannabis. Yeah, that seems to be yeah. the general consensus. I'm talking to people that are in bands, that are DJs, in bars, and it just seems to be everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and no one's hiding it anymore. No. And I was talking to a man a few weeks ago on a podcast who told me a phrase, uh, doing a key. And it's the first time I ever heard this, where you're wa- he was walking down Shop Street in Galway and he saw a fella doing a key, which yeah. was putting a key into a bag of cocaine yeah. and putting it up his nose. Yeah, They're, like everywhere. Yeah. yeah so. And you're talking nurses, doctors, teachers, uh, farmers. It, there was a big article in the newspaper a few weeks ago about farmers. It's, it's every profession, every walk of life, every door. Yeah. Um, it seems to be everywhere. Yeah, it is. The, from what I hear, now I haven't, I'm not around that circles in Ireland and I, okay. when I came back to Ireland, I was pulling myself away from all of that. But from what I hear within the recovery circles that I'm in and the people that come into recovery, that's what I hear, that they can't go anywhere. It's there. It's so freely available, your local pub. So what age then, you were kicked out of school then for junior cert. Are yeah. you, were you gone then? Are you finished in school then? No, right. So I was 15. So legally I had to go back to school. So the local school that I was originally kicked out of here in Sligo had a new headmaster. So they accepted me back in under a thing called a behavioural contract. So I had to sign a behavioural contract, agree that I do this, that and the other. Again, authority. Again, I didn't like it. Didn't like that authority. Like, um, so, but I, I think, looking back, I think a lot of the people had a, a little grudge against me because I wasn't very nice and I wouldn't have been an easy kid to deal with in a classroom or in a, a schooling setting and I accept that so were you a bully I don't think I was a bully I no no I wasn't a bully I know I wasn't a bully I was more and I have been throughout my life more of sticking up for the little person I've had more fights in my life sticking up for people who've been picked on and bullied than um, 
than ev- than anything else. Like that's how it starts. I try and be the savior. But again, it's looking for the limelight, isn't it? It's that attention. So no, like the the reason I got kicked out to begin with at NAS school was there was an altercation during a French exam, and there was two brothers, and they were pretty much trying to pick on me, uh, and I launched. I attacked first, and that was unexpected. So then when I came back, as it says, I signed the behavioural contract and I came back and I turned 16. So I knew legally I didn't have to be here. So I didn't. I was like, no, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm out of here. See you later. So I was 16 years of age. I was gone. Um, and then I had to go into a false course. I suppose I lasted about a week or two in a false course. It wasn't, wasn't for me. And then a friend's father was like, oh, geez, you're a, you're a big lad. Like, come on onto the building sites. So we got onto the building sites labouring. And um, yeah, that's what I did. And then I had a few pound in my pocket, and then I just smoked that, like smoked the life out of that. And even with the few pound in my pocket, I still end up in debt. Like throughout the years of all of this, I'd always have have to come crawling back to the family, going, "Oh look, I I need help. Like I'm I'm in debt." Like yeah, that that even sixteen, seventeen. That did they know the that. extent of it then? Yeah, I had cops calling to the house. I was caught with drugs in the town. I had police calling to the house saying, "Look." Like dad was a local businessman in town, so he'd be hearing in the grapevine that like your son's out of control. So they knew to the exact ex- extent. No, probably not. But they knew something wasn't right um, for a long time. When you say caught right. with drugs in the town, you're talking personal use quantities. So an ounce, an ounce of hash back then. That was 1990s, like 99 or something like that. The first time I was caught. What's what's an ounce of hash like? Is that for personal use? Yeah. Well, I was selling it, but like you could class a personal use, but no, like it's it's for selling. How much yeah. would an ounce have cost? 120 pound back then. And you'd yeah. divide that up into into four bits and then sell three and keep one. That was what the plan usually was until I smoke all of that one and then start smoking the second bit and probably into the third bit and then start like shitting myself and going, oh no, what am I going to do? It's all gone and you've had no money in. Yeah, pretty much. And now I've got to go and tell these people. You know, so right. And then the people that you're going to tell that I don't have your money, yeah. they're dangerous people. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But again, I come from a good background. So it's like, well, go and get the money. We know you can get the money. So just go and get the money. Like, and it's like, oh, like you don't understand. This isn't easy for me. Like, but I never learned the lesson. This continued. Like, this went on um, for years. Yeah. And then alcohol was in. And like, I suppose when I was 16, I started, like, I started drinking when I was 13. Um, like bits of cans down the alleyways and things like that but then without no school and things like that I started like properly drinking like when I was 16 I looked 18 I could get alcohol it was no problem so I'd buy the alcohol for all the group and I'd drink and the one difference that I'll always remember now between my group is I never stopped like when everyone was drunk and it had enough and they're like oh we're going home I was like oh come on come on we keep going we'll get some more drink and I there was just never enough there wasn't enough for me to keep going um, and then about 17, I, when I got drunk, I started robbing cars. And that's when it got, like, bad. So about, yeah, 17, 18 maybe, and um, I started robbing cars. When I got drunk, I started taking people's property. Um, you just robbed it for a thrill or yeah, for just, money? No, for a thrill. Just for a thrill. For a thrill just to, How do you go about robbing a car? Well, do you want me to explain? or No, like, like do you steal the keys or hot No, no, hot it, or, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. how did you know how to hotwire a car? I was involved with people who knew about this kind is of it thing. straightforward enough really very simple and basic back then yeah very simple and basic there was I no thought it's just the movies make it look simple where no. you get two wires and they spark and the you car starts need, there wasn't even two wires so I remember I think <laughs> I was about, driver. yeah I was about 19 and I had a headline here in town in the local paper man robs car with spoon 
<laughs> you're so proud of that. Yeah. I can tell like, you're really proud of that headline. Yeah, man Rob's car was spoon like. What kind of car was it? I think it was a Cavalier. Yeah. Yeah. And that went on. And that's when I ended up started going into the prison systems. They like yeah, I started getting caught. What would you do when you robbed the car then? Just joyride? Well just joyride it, yeah. Like rallied around the back roads and things like that. Yeah. And then did you ever ever get into a police chase? Oh yeah, I've been in police chases, but th- the police chase I was in, it's funny you ask that, there was a police chase I was in here in Sligo, it wasn't a robbed car, it was a car that I bought, I loved joyriding, I loved taking cars out and about, and um, we were driving across the bridge here in town, and um, myself and two lads in the car, and we were only going over to get fuel, right, and the cops saw us on the bridge and obviously recognised me, they're like, right, pull in, pull in, shouting at me, I was like, no chance, so I put the foot down and went, we had drugs in the car, we threw the drugs out the window and kept going, we ended up going all over Leitrim and all over the back roads of Sligo, um, for about an hour and a half. So it turns out we didn't need fuel, so we didn't need to be going across that bridge. And then throughout the chase, the lads were like, they're going to hurt you and you stop the car. Like, they're, they're going to be really pissed off. I was like, right, what'll they do? So I ended up bringing outside the guard barracks here in town and just parked up outside the barracks. And I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm done. But during this chase, I came down that back road up there and my mother was out walking her dog. And I'm skirting down the back road with police cars and paddy wagons and all sorts behind me and sirens blaring, noise going mad. And poor mum's walking a dog over there and she sees her son flying by in this car with cops chasing her. Yeah, like, we can look back now and have a laugh at yourself and mum. We do have a bit of a laugh. Like, oh, do you remember that? Yeah, it's funny now. Back then it wasn't. Like, it's, like, I can't. I like, can't imagine. Can we just put this into perspective here? Like, yeah. you come from a very lovely area. Mm-hmm. With a very lovely house, with very lovely parents, yeah. who are well regarded in the community, and you're here driving down a, a, a boring, being chased by police, yeah. and your mum out walking the dog. Yeah, that's that's it. Like, yeah. And at any stage of that, were you? Uh, did you feel for your mother? I I never felt empathy for others. I was just so wrapped up in myself and all about what I wanted. Like I and didn't care. No about stage that else. night. You're lying in the prison cell, looking up the roof. You didn't think about your mother no. and what she was thinking, or no. I think. Or your I, sister. I can't. No, I can't exactly say what I was thinking. I'd be lying to say what I was thinking. But knowing me the way I was back then, I'd be thinking like, I can't wait to get out of here and have a joint, or can't wait to get out of here and have a drink, can't wait to get out of here and get at it again, like a partying again. You know, like I wonder how long I'm going to be here for. Um, yeah. So, what was the first stint in prison then? First stint was when I was 18, it was 2002 I think it was, and it was a remand in Castlery Prison. So you've had a good few slaps on the wrist between 14 and 18 oh, I, yeah. I imagine. Oh yeah, I've had liaison officers, juvenile liaison officers, I've had like interventions with the youth workers here coming up and trying to get me involved in things. And hundreds of chances. Oh yeah, like I was given chances coming like... He says hundreds of chances. I, yeah. It wasn't a case of like I got in trouble and then I was sent to prison. It was a case I was given chance after chance after chance, and then when I hit eighteen, like I could have been put in a a juvenile centre like Oberstown or things like that. These juvenile centres, which I know others were, and others that probably did a little less than me, but were on a different side of the town, ended up in there. But I didn't. I was given chance after chance. And the second I turned eighteen, they were like, "No, oh, we've had enough of you now. This it's time to go." What kind of relationship did you ha- did you have with the guards? Did you hate guards? Yes and no. I had a... Um, 
There's usually certain certain guards I did hate. There's usually a few guards in the community yeah. that you can knock a bit of crack out at, and then yeah. there's a few guards in the community that you just hate their guts. Well, this is what I was going to say. Yeah, Cer- certain guards I just couldn't stand. Other guards you'd knock a bit of crack out at, like you would. You'd have like almost to the point where it was like a, a cat and mouse game, where it's like you'd have a bit of crack in a chase, you know, or stuff like that. Because my dad was a guard, and and I'd have I had a really good relationship with him growing up, and we'd talk an awful lot about different things, and and you know he'd he'd share a lot with me. Not nothing that he wasn't supposed to, but at the same time, it's a small town. Castlebar is a small town. You'd know who the pops were, and mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And I'd be jo- I was always joined at his hip, and we'd meet. There'd be one or two of the town pops that would be very similar to you, but we'd be going into a petrol station. Dad would stand talking to them, and maybe knocking the crack out of them for two or three minutes, and then I'd say to Dad. There was this particular fella and he nearly ran him over one night. The, they were chasing him and he had drugs in the car and, and he nearly... And, and Dad showed me where he, they nearly knocked him over. And I said, how can you stand up talking to your man? You know, like he nearly killed you one night. Mm-hmm. And Dad's response to me was, Ara, he's a rogue, but he's a likable rogue. I, yeah, and I you that. haven't stopped smiling since I came into this house, but you're a feckin' brat. And I imagine you are probably one of those... I'd say you did have a streak in you, but there was something still kind of likable. Yeah. Um, the one thing that most of the cops and prison service, uh, prison officers, governors, managers have always said about me is he's mannerly. Like, so how, however I was on the street, see, this is where, where I wasn't being my authentic, authentic self out in the street. Like I was doing stuff that I suppose to the core of me, it wasn't really me. So I'd go out and I'd, I'd act a maggot on the street and I'd get involved in this and I'd rob cars and whatever. And I'd get caught and I'd be in the police station and I'd be like, yes, thank you, please. Um, you know, I'd show them respect. I'd be authentic. I'd be genuine with them. Like I wouldn't How be could you ass. have respect for a prison officer and not have respect for your parents? I don't know. Yeah, um, I know. Um, I suppose because my parents always gave me love and care and they were always there and I probably took them for granted that they're always going to be there, you know. And the prison officer had control over when my door opened and if I was going to get out that day and what I was going to do. I learned very quickly within the prison system that when you're respectful, you you're, you get on okay. You know, you're not locked up. You're not given the shitty jobs. You're not, you know. So this, this first time you were remanded at 18, what was that for? That was for possession of a knife, I think. Yeah, possession of a knife at 18. I'm nearly certain it was possession of a knife and criminal damage. I think that was what. So I was remanded in Castlery and I came back to the court and um, they sent me then from Castlery up to St. Pat's Institution, like I suppose. Castlery wasn't giving me the you know, that whole, like, this is a prison system. It didn't have that feel. And I think the judge could see that. It didn't have that feel. So I got sent up to St. Pat's, pretty much up to a real prison system, as they were calling it. What time. do you mean it didn't have a prison feel? It was very laid back. It was very easy, Osi. Like, I went in when I was on the bus. I was terrified going in the gates. After about two nights, I was like, oh, okay. This is just like a boys' club. Like, this, this isn't. This isn't what it's made out to be like. But there was a lot of rumours about St. Pat's and how terrifying it was and how different it was for the cultures coming up to the dubs. And um, I think judges knew that at the time. So Castlery, it's it's like, it's only down the road. You know, it's all local people. And it wasn't scary. It wasn't terrifying. Um, how long were you in there? Fear. How long were you in Castlery for? I was only in Castlery that time for, you know, two or three weeks, four weeks maybe. Yeah. And then they put me up to St. Pat's. Yeah. And why did they move you from Castlery to St. Pat's? Just because it wasn't, like, I think they were trying to scare me and try and get me back onto, like, 
be okay, you know, try and get, like, just give me a little bit of a shake. Um, St. Pat's is a different system. Like, back then, it was a different system. You had a lot of lunatics looking to make a name for themselves. And people coming from the west of Ireland up into a Dublin prison, like, we were easy targets. Like, Did you share a, a cell with someone? No, I was single up then, yeah, in there. I was single in there, yeah. Um, and when you say trying to make a name for themselves, like, were you really intimidated in that prison? At the very beginning, yeah. I and you was, have to pretend you're not. Oh, yeah, you have to pretend you're not. Like, there's no, you can't show emotion. You can't show that you're scared. You cannot, like, they'll sniff out fear. People in prison systems sniff out fear. You go around with fear emanating from you, your target. Um, Can you handle yourself? I think so, yeah. Was there ever a time where you, uh, you couldn't? Like, yeah, well, I've had, I've, I had an incident here in town where like six people jumped me like couldn't handle myself then. No, but I mean in the prison system <coughs> um, did anyone ever jump you or like take no. advantage? No, I've had people try to um, but I wouldn't back down. Um, sometimes it would go to a physical altercation. A lot of times it doesn't. Um, especially in the prison systems in Ireland the ones that I've been in a lot of the times it didn't come to a physical altercation. Um, again, like I haven't been in a prison system in Ireland in 20 years last time I was in prison there and I was 20 years of age and it was the training unit in Mountjoy but from my experience with it is if you stuck up for yourself and you showed them right fuck it yeah go on if you're not going to do something I'm going to do something back on go for it they most of the time they back down it was only the odd one who would go for it and then you'd go for it but now in fairness the times that that happened like we'd be like two days later we'd be out in the yard smoking cigarettes with each other and chatting to each other like it didn't happen is there a kind of a king of the wing like there is yeah. on telly yeah. There's one in every wing. Yeah, one in every prison. I haven't been in a prison what? yet where there isn't. And what are they called or what are they known no, as? Just people. They just, but they're known as... Do you know them like, yeah. He's the boss man. Yeah, you can see it. You can you can, you can can sniff it out. And and how do they become that? I don't know. Is violence. it through contacts or contacts, violence? Contacts, violence. Now, I don't know back then. Like, I suppose I was young back then and I didn't really fully understand the entire prison system. Been through a lot of prison systems in the UK now. We're in Scotland. It's contacts, it's money, it's what you're doing behind behind bars, it's what you're involved in, it's what you can do. So you're behind the bar, but what can get done on your behalf outwit the prison system, that's where the control is like. Yeah. So you I know I know of I was in a, a system in um in Peterhead and I know of a guy who was basically able to get anything done outside. So the the prison officers, the screws as they called him, they were like accepting of him. So he didn't get moved much things didn't happen to him much they knew like they pissed him off like their car's going to get burnt out their house is going to be torched so they they did their job but like does that happen in Ireland do you think oh yeah I'd say so yeah yeah. I'd say it happens everywhere mm. you know I'd say it's one of these things that's just it's who we are like you know so you've been in and out of prison in Ireland and Scotland yeah and how did how did you end up in prison in Scotland um, drugs violence uh, mostly drugs and violence yeah what level of violence? Assaults, um, serious assaults, severe injuries. I've done a lot of, a lot of uh, remands in Scotland. Like so, I got convicted of an assault in two thousand and six, and once you have that assault, then they can remand you for suspicion of an assault. Like so, if they think you've been involved in another assault or another violence act, they've got a section twenty eight D where they can remand you for uh, one hundred and forty days. So it's a, it's called a. Uh, a lie down 140 lie down so if they think you've done it so they can charge you with it doesn't matter if you if like you don't have to found guilty or anything yet they can get an order to have you remanded for 140 days before you're 
case comes to trial or anything. So usually when I went, most of the times, 80% of the time when this happened and I went to trial, I'd be released. It was just a, a, a way to get you off the streets, to get you away from the situation. So you dealing drugs is one thing and taking drugs is another thing and then and stealing cars is one thing. But then serious assault then is a whole yeah. other level. You're really hurting people. Yeah. And how many serious assaults have you been involved in? Um, that I've been in prison for. Well... Well, have you been involved in? Not that you've been in prison for. Like, is there... A lot. 20? Yeah. Probably, yeah. And how do they come about? Are you robbing them or yeah. are they... It's within the trade. It's within the the lifestyle that you're living. It's within the... Yeah, it's the lifestyle. It's the whole reality that you've created because you're you're involved in drugs. I'm just trying to get my violence. head around it. Like, yeah. are, you, are you breaking into a house no. and beating someone up or you're beating no. up another drug dealer? It'd be another drug dealer. It'd be a user. It'd be someone trying to rob you. It'd be an altercation with a different gang. It'd be... Okay. So okay. for instance, in Scotland, like we had an altercation with another gang, I suppose you could call them. Like I suppose back then we didn't, like, I didn't look at it like a gang, but I suppose it was another gang. So whenever time they seen us, they'd attack us. Whenever time we saw them, we'd attack them. It was kind of just how it went. Um, it was petty, but it it got to a level where it became very dangerous, very very dangerous. Um, that was for a lot of years. That went on. You Did know? you ever have a gun? Yeah. Did you ever use it? No. That's crazy. Yeah. And you felt the need to carry it. I didn't carry it. I had it. Right. Um. Yeah. So. That and like we're we're talking about this now as if it's this this far away land in Scotland, but like there are videos on social media at the moment of Irish gangs showing each other their guns. Have you seen them? Yeah. And they're like, the next time you talk about me, Billy, yeah. you're getting this. And and he he puts all the bullets out on the table, and he goes, "There's one, for, there's one for yeah. this one," and, there, and he he's he's putting names on bullets. Yeah. I saw that video last week. It's outrageous. Yeah. And we, when we, when we think about that, I think we think about narco's, or we think about Mexico or Colombia, or yeah. this is happening in in Ireland. Yeah, it's happening everywhere. God love that family in Dublin. There was a gangland killing yeah, two nights yeah. ago. Yeah, first one this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's 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 drugs. It's the trade. It's the lifestyle that comes with it. It's the persona that has to be portrayed. It's what you have to do. It's what you're involved in. It's. What's the longest stint you've done in jail? Oh, maybe two and a bit years, all in, like, without getting out. And did it ever shake you? The last time did, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, the well, last time. Like, I'll not say it never shook me. Dude. But in my younger years, no, it didn't shake me. Like, it was like a badge of honour. Like, I used to, you know, go around, to Australia. I was in um, nine prison systems in two different countries, like, and, and wear it as a badge of honour. Like, where is it? Yeah, you won't mess with me, like, type thing. Or, I, fuck, I don't care. And that went on for a long time. And then the last time I was in um, Berlini Prison in Glasgow, a very, very different system, very rough, very dangerous, um, brutal, to be honest. And that shook me. I remember waking up. I was only talking to my family about this. Um, I remember waking up on my birthday. So my 40th has just passed now on Friday. And like everyone's like, oh, what do you want to do for it? And I just want to celebrate. And you want to do this? And you want to do that? And I'm like, like, do you understand? Like, I'm... In Ireland, for one, that's a gift I could never... Like I, was on, I had a warrant for my arrest in Ireland for 14 years. I couldn't come back here. So that, for being able to be in Ireland to celebrate my 40th, huge. To have the love and compassion and care and kindness of all my family and now new friends that I've met is amazing. To wake up in my home house, wild. 
to not be involved in crime, to not be a drug addict, to not be sick from heroin or to want for a crack oozing out of my veins. Amazing. Like, the gratitude is unreal. To be sober. Like, wild. When I was 35, I woke up, I'll never forget it, on the bottom bunk in a prison system in, in Glasgow, in a Berlin prison in Glasgow, and I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm here again. 35 years of age, I'm spending another birthday. And I, I was just like, I can't do this, man. I was broken. I was like, I just can't keep doing this. And I remember when I got out of there, I got out in 2019, and I said it to my family, I said, I'm not going back into prison. I can't do prison again. Um, I'm done. I can't do it. I end up going to prison again. I'm, I'm killing myself. I'm hanging myself. I can't do it. I'm not built for it anymore. It's broken me. Like I'm done. And that's when I got further and further into drugs more than crime. Further and further. So I, I got dependent on heroin, got heavily involved in crack cocaine. Uh, I was eating benzo tablets, like prescription tablets, daily. Um, and at the very end of it, I was smoking crystal meth on top of all of it in the same pipe, just trying to say, look, I've had enough. Um, yeah, at the very end of it all, I was taking so much substances at night because I didn't want to wake up. I was like, just take me. I'm done. Wishing to be dead, but not having the courage to try and do it myself. And I'm waking up in the morning going, oh, I can't believe I'm still alive. Yeah. So, yeah, so it shocked me. Like, that one shocked me. That scared me. And what was the turning point? Did your did your did your family come to visit you in prison when you were there in Scotland? Yeah, in some prisons. Yeah, when I was in Berlin, I wouldn't allow them to come. I says, "You're not coming." I wouldn't allow them. I did virtual uh, video links with them, so I did like um, a virtual like over video. And from they were in Ireland. No, they were in Aberdeen, so they'd be over visiting my ex-wife and my kids, and they'd have to go to this um, centre type thing. How many kids do you have? I have two kids. What yeah, ages are they? Boy and a girl. Daniel's thirteen, and Erin's ten. Do they know the crack? Oh yeah, they lived it. They lived it. I don't, I'm not in their lives at the moment. Um, it's through my own fault, I suppose, through everything I did. And their mums kept them safe and playing mama bear and trying to keep them and doing the best you can for them, which I respect and I understand. And you've no relationship with their mum? Uh, no, I've just been divorced. I'm not long divorced now. Um, and I have an order that I'm not allowed to have contact with her. So that's fine, I have to obey that order. It's all part and parcel of things that have happened throughout my life with that. Um, so I obey that order. So you can't see your kids now until my kids. they turn 18? Possibly, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that there's something else can be done just because I can't contact her. I don't know. I'm hoping a solicitor can help me organise contact with my children. Um, right, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. But yeah. I mean, um, the, the realisation in prison then, like how do you go from smoking yourself silly and wanting to die from crack cocaine to getting clean. Wow. What, 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 how, how did that happen? I had, um, so this, that was from 2019 to 2021, I was involved in crack and I just, that's constant, constant. And I was involved, like I had a lot of, a lot of crack cocaine. Is me, crack right? cocaine the highest drug, like in the, in the hierarchy of drugs? Is that the, the, I would say, yeah. And I've, I've had every substance imaginable in my system. And I would say crack cocaine is the scariest, most potent, and most dangerous drug available. And you smoke is, it, is it? You smoke it, yeah. You can inject it too, but you smoke it, yeah. You put it into a pipe. Put it into a pipe, you smoke it, and it's gone. You're smoking hundreds of pounds, hundreds of euros, gone in minutes. Yeah, and this is what's the way I've, I've And seen. what does it do to you? Oh, what's it do to you? It gives you this release, this instant, so... If people have sniffed a line of coke and they know the feeling they get and it lasts for half an hour and they have that, that like come up throughout it, that gives it all in one go. It's like bang. And it's like you light it, you smoke it. When you inhale, you feel something. When you exhale, you just, oh, 
it's just instant. It takes you away from you in the highest form possible. It's dangerous. I've watched an epidemic all over Scotland, and I'm terrified what's coming here to Ireland. It's dangerous. It creates, I would say it creates monsters, but I would never want to call anyone involved in that a monster. I wasn't a monster, but the things I did to continually get crack were dangerous. Like what? I'd be involved in like... Burglaries? No, no. I'd be involved in robbing other drug dealers and um, you'd hear someone like... So if I had no, like, if I had no crack and I had no chance of getting money and I was around people and you'd hear, a text would come through. This is how they call it. A text used to come through onto different phones, users' phones, and be like on best of both. And then you'd ring them, you'd set it up. You'd figure out who it was and what they were involved in and how deep and how connected they were. If they weren't that, like if it was just an average Joe trying to make a few pounds or we go and rob them. Like we take it and that's what we do. But then I was selling crack and the things that like, very dangerous selling crack cocaine to people who will do anything to get their fix. Absolutely anything. And the things that have happened, like I've got um, teeth marks all over my right leg from a pit bull that hung on to my leg all to do with a, a drug deal gone wrong. Like uh, that was gruesome. Um, I had a Russian guy that used to walk around with me to protect me and his a big chunk of his tie is gone. It's missing. The dog took it off. Like it just took it away. That kind of stuff. Like just wild. I've had car chases where people tried to bury us into walls to try and get what we had. And yeah, like I can tell you some wild stories. It's just, yeah. Mad. How do you go about having a Russian bodyguard? <laughs> you must be fairly high up the chain at that level. No, not very high up, just... Who pays him or who... I paid him. You paid him yeah, to protect yeah. you. Yeah. And how do you go about finding a Russian bodyguard? Oh man, I don't like... I'd love one on a Saturday night in Galway. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but yeah, that's... Look, that's the thing I say. Be careful what you wish for. It'll happen. It, it comes true. You create your own reality. I'm a, I'm a firm believer of what goes on in your head. You, you create it. You, you bring it to you. So this kind of stuff, I immerse myself in this world. So these are the people I'm around. Like I'm like... For instance, right, I'm in recovery now, so I'm meeting, I'm around people involved in wellness, meditation, um, like, lovely, like, proper, like, spiritual experiences. This is what I, comes into my world now. Back then, I was involved in drugs, crime, mayhem, violence, um, egotistic persona of, of danger. So that's what came into my world. So these people come into your world, you meet them, you, it's almost like networking in criminal organizations, it's like, you meet them, they just come into your world and when you find a guy who's about six foot four and built like an ox and can handle himself it's like oh, you stay with me like this is going to get dangerous over the next couple of months oh, was he a user there. he was a user yeah but not a crack but he was a user like, yeah and were you very much a user or were you trying to make yourself out to be a kingpin and a and a, and a huge dealer like were you trying to be the pablo escobar or were you still trying to be were you just a user trying to fulfill your needs or did you think one day Oh, I'm going to own this empire. Oh yeah, I had delusions of that for a long time. Like that's like all, all my mates knowing me growing up would always say, Yeah, you were delusional. Like you always had this delusional of your time to take over the world. Um like that Pinky in the Brain cartoon from Donkeys years ago, you know, come take over the world. I had that delusion, like but it was pure addiction delusion, like delusional thinking, wild mad thinking. And I had that for a long time and like like so my substance abuse was very progressive. Like, it started at one and it worked its whole way through everything. But throughout this whole line, like, um, 
it's I got involved in a lot of stuff. So at one point I was involved with a cartel in Holland and I was working for them. They sacked me. Like, who gets sacked from a cartel? Like, it, that's not how it works. Because I was a heroin addict at that point. So I ran out of weed. So what would normally happen? You'd be killed? Probably, yeah. Yeah. But they didn't this, kill you. No, they didn't kill me. Because like, no. you had manners. Yeah, pretty much. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but there was. A, Please don't kill me, Holland cartel <laughs> manager. Yeah, no, they were like they were a different crowd. They were business people, like so. They were a good crowd, like and um, yeah, they were, they were a good crowd. Yeah. Do you firmly believe that that a cartel in Holland are a good crowd? <sighs> in or, that world, yeah. You're saying the best of a bad lot. Pretty much, yeah. The the very the best of a bad bunch that I've ever met. I've never they've never been involved in violence that I know of in in the UK. They were about money and they were about getting money and making money. And when you stopped making money and getting money, that was it. So um I was but, tested for Okay, but you do you do appreciate that they're killing thousands of people at the same oh, time. Without doubt, yeah. Yeah, but it's just that they're not getting they're not getting their hands dirty. Yeah. But they weren't killing me. And what I, I at, at that time it wasn't within my reality like what was going on, what they were doing, wherever else, mm. you know. So, yeah, and it was definite means to an end, like, yeah, yeah. So you got sacked then by by this cartel. yeah for being a heroin addict, yeah, because you were getting high on your own supply. Yeah, I ran out of weed one day, and the first time I'd ever smoked heroin was in uh, a prison in Dublin. I was eighteen, and I I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It took me the away first from time you day. smoked heroin was in prison. Yeah. Jesus. In it, I was 18 years of age. I was in St. Pat's Institution in Dublin. That's the very first time I smoked heroin. It's 22 years ago. And obviously the prison guards know it's been smoked in there. Oh, I'd say so, yeah. They can smell it. Yeah, you can smell it. Yeah, it stinks. That's insane to mm. think that the first time you had that was in prison, yeah. in a place where it shouldn't be at all. Yeah, but it is. It's even more so now. Like The prison systems I've been in in the UK, we were smoking paper, so piece of paper there like that piece of paper there it was drenched in a thing called spice so that's what you smoke you smoke paper people's letters people's photos people's colourings from their kids drenched in spice and that's what you smoke to get out your nut so for years I was smoking pieces of paper in the prison system to get high and how are you paying for them how are you by selling it selling it in the prison system been involved with different people moving around the prison and then if it got to a point where like Things got shady and I didn't, I suppose, smoke too much of it. Then you'd have to do different things within the prison system to help pay for it. So you'd uh, move drugs from one wing to another, depending on what you're involved in. or Yeah, all different stuff. Hide phones, keep a phone for someone or get someone else to keep a phone for them and say it's you just doing it. But like you're not having it in your cell. I didn't want those things in my cell. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. B&B Homes make your dream home a reality. We do it all from start to finish. Your one-stop shop to becoming a homeowner. Log on to brbhomes.ie. So back to my question then of how yeah. you went from from smoking yeah. yourself silly to getting clean. Right. So yeah, I so 2020 really really bad year for me really bad like involved with drugs um, and substances taken serious amounts of them and my family knew things were getting really bad like and they were begging me oh, you need treatment go and get help will you and I, you're back in Sligo at this stage no 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 I'm in Scotland at this stage so oh. I'm in Scotland the whole time and there's still a warrant out for you no oh there's still a warrant in Sligo out for me right so like when I was in Scotland I used to never come back to the south I used to go to the north and family come up and visit and talk to them that night. and then um, so yeah 2020 
I was really bad on the drugs. Family realised I was really bad on the drugs. And to be begging me to go for help, I'd be like, no, life was falling apart. 2021, 2020, I tried to commit suicide. I hung myself from a tree. Um, by the grace of God, that didn't didn't work out, thankfully. Um, I'm a firm believer that, that a power greater than me had helped myself from that and stopped that. Um, so yeah, that continued 2021, got worse. And my sister was begging me to go to treatment, looking for treatment centres, and I was lying, saying I'm looking for treatment centres and I want to get involved in the treatment and I'm, I'm going to change and all of that. And I had a, like, I suppose, um, a psychotic moment or a um, psychosis moment in Aberdeen where I thought everything was coming to get me. I was smoking a lot of crack cocaine, a lot. And I just thought the world was coming for me, like I just lost it, completely lost it. Rented a car, got a, a friend of mine to rent a car. We drove from Aberdeen to London um, with a lot of cocaine, a lot of crack. Got to London, um, ended up involved with Dodgers down there, like dodgy people. Um, was down there smoking crack, doing things um, to get money and whatnot. Losing a lot of weight, looking very ill. Mum came over for my birthday. She came over to, uh, to London. I stayed in a hotel, so she did, and met me for my birthday. And she could see, like, oh, you're you're unwell. Like, I was so unwell that I met my mum on my birthday, and um, then disappeared and went smoke crack for twenty four hours, and came back. I left my mum in the centre of London, like, and just disappeared. The crack was was more important to me than the love of my family, and to celebrate my birthday. Um, and I came back and I think I made an excuse saying I was on the drink or something like that. So she knew, you know what I mean? She knew. And then the place I was staying in London, things got volatile. Um, it was got it got dangerous for me to be there. So I left and went around London with a backpack on my back. I went from hostel to hostel and um, just doing what I could to, to, to get drugs and, you know, begging, begging my family to send over money to put money in my account. Oh, I'm sick. I'm just... Yeah, begging people and um, doing different things, involving different things, moving drugs around London and um, just getting to get my fix. Now at this stage, there was the, the gig was up like there was no pretending to anyone in the like criminal world that I was a fit person who could do things like I looked a mess. I was about nine stone. I had a bag of bones. Like I don't like using the word word, but for want of any other better word, I looked like a junkie. Like when that image comes into your head. That's what I was. So to try and pretend to any decent criminal or organization that I could be involved in anything was gone. That was out the window. That was gone. And um, the weight of the world was on my shoulders and I just had enough. I just, I had enough. And it was December 2021. And my family were begging me to go in treatment and I was like, right, you know what? I'm done. Yeah, treatment. If you can set it up, I'll go. So I set it up with a treatment centre here in Ireland. And... Um, where was that? In Loud, a place called Smarmore. Amazing place. Really, yeah? Oh, man, amazing place. And ama- amazing people. It's not the place, it's the community that they created was amazing. So I left London on the 20th of December. Is it private? It's private, yeah. So your parents paid for that? Family paid for that, yeah. 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 And I would take in um, public patients too. This is why I think it's an amazing place. Because they can offer such an amazing therapy and such an amazing community and they take in uh, a certain amount of HSE patients and public patients that they can get the avail of the best treatment that the private can give. And um, yeah, it was just the people in there so caring, so compassionate. 
they'll talk to you like a human being, you know, when you didn't even feel like a human being yourself. You felt like, I felt like, like shit on someone's shoe. So you're 36, 37. I'm, going into I was 38 going into that treatment centre, yeah. And how do you go from being so dependent on it to coming to Ireland and going into a treatment centre? Like, were, that must have been horrific. Yeah, so I left London and I made a conscious decision to myself that I'm not taking any drugs with me. Like, I wouldn't go anywhere without heroin, without crack, because I'd become ill. So on the train up, I started feeling ill. I got a train from London up to Hollyhead. And on the train up, I started feeling ill. So I had two kinds of alcohol. By the time I got to Dublin Port, uh, now I came into Dublin Port because I still had a warrant for my arrest. So I was trying to get back into the country. And um, so I came in. I got a taxi then over to the airport. My family were staying in the hotel. And the family saw me and they were like, oh man, you're dying. Like, So I had a room in a hotel there. And I did my best to get any sort of sleep I could and I couldn't. I was cramped. My legs were in agony. I was sweating. My stomach was cramped. And I was in full-blown heroin withdrawals. The next morning, family saw me and they were like, oh my God, Like you look like death. He's like, this is what happens. Like, but I had that conscious decision, like, I need help. Like, I, I need to do something. Went, drove down to the treatment centre that morning. It was the 21st, I think, of December. And... Uh, I got in the door, I fell in the door. I, I'll never forget the big red door, opened the door, they, they met me, the people in the treatment centre met me. It was during COVID, they had masks on, like, and I fell in the door, my family couldn't come in, they could only take me in. I literally fell in the door, fell onto a couch, and they were just, they treated me like I was human, like, you know, they were like, you're going to be okay, it's going to be all right, we're going to look after you, we're going to get you well, you're going to be fine. And um, I went down to the nurse's office, and... Um, yeah, they were so kind. And <laughs> I was so ill. All I could say to them was like, I need a detox. Like, I need drugs. Like, you don't get it. I need drugs. And they're like, yeah, look, the doctor hasn't seen you. I was like, I don't care. Like, you get me drugs now or I'm going. Like, I, I'm, I'm sick. Because I was. I was very, very ill. And um, the nurse rang the doctor and the doctor says, no, give him, I think it was, I like, know. It was Cal- coding, like Calpol. Pretty much, <laughs> give him something. So they gave me, yeah. It could have been Calpol for all I knew, you know what I mean? Calpol 6 Plus. It, it could have been, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they gave me something. And then the doctor came down and assessed me and that and put me onto a medical detox. <laughs> and this work is funny. I was in that treatment centre, right? And What's a uh, medical detox? Medical like? detox is when you're like, so for that medical detox, I was given codeine and anticonvulsants. So anticonvulsion tablets, so I didn't have a, a fit because I was coming off all different substances. And the codeine was to bring my body, regulate my body back down from the sickness of the heroin. It's to, just so I'd stop shaking, I'd stop being sick and um, stop being ill, you know? Right. So it was Christmas, <coughs> Christmas Eve. And I tested positive for COVID. So they're like, you need to go. Like, we can't keep you here. You need to go. I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, what, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> I've nowhere to go in this country. And they're like, oh, look, we've rang your family. I was like, I don't think you get it. Like, I'm, we haven't got the best relationship with my family at the moment due to everything that's gone on. They're like, no, they're going to come up for you. I was like, right, okay. So family came up and uh, brought me. I, I went home. They gave me a, a prescription for, um, for coding, for Codex. It's like liquid coding. Brought that home, they gave me a bottle and a prescription, brought that home, came home to this house for Christmas. And bless me, mum, like, she was like, do you want a can? Do you want a Christmas day? Do you want a can? I was like, something in me, I was like, I know I can't do that. Like, that's going to set me back. So I was like, no, I'm good, thanks. Now, I followed that, that prescription to the T. This is how much I wanted to change. I had enough. How did you do that, though? How did you just... I had willingness. I had the gift of desperation. I lived 
such a horrific life over since getting out of prison in 2019 to where I was now. I had such a heart like. Was there a realisation when you were sitting here in this house on Christmas Day after such a horrific few years and you were just like, this is, I'm home now. This is where I want to be. I wasn't even there yet. No. No, I wasn't even there yet. I couldn't even think straight yet. I was just like, right, if I can go through tonight now. Like this whole one day at a time thing was huge in my head at right. that point. So you were but, isolating here until you could yeah, get back. Yeah. And I'd taken coding. Um, How, and I, so it was, what was it, seven days or five days? or? It was here for... I was here on the 5th of January. Probably 10 so days here at that stage, yeah. 24, yeah. 24 December to the 5th of January. I went back right. into treatment to 5th of January. And I'll never forget, I went back into treatment with a bottle of coding, still loads left. Like, this is coming from a guy who would have downed that coding first thing in the morning just for fun. Yeah. And I handed it to him. I was like, look, this is what I've left, but you need to get that away from me now because we're getting close to me just swallowing that. Like, so you take that. And they were like, right, okay. I had willingness. I had enough. I had the gift of desperation. I couldn't do it anymore. You know, like... And when you were in Sligo for the 10 days, you must know people around didn't you. didn't go anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere. I was in the house. No one knew I was back in Ireland. But no. d- d- did you not have the kind of craving to ring someone and say, how are you? Can you get me a bit of stuff for? I had thoughts, yeah. Of course I had thoughts. Like, But I had thoughts of that and then I kept reminding myself where I've just come from. Like, Right. Like, one, if I left the house and I went off to get something and I was spotted, like, I'm going to be asked who I am. And, like, the minute they run my name, I can go to prison. Like, that's how it What was. were you wanted for in Ireland? Uh, concerned display, like, involved in cocaine trade. In 2008, I got wrapped up in a thing called Operation Clean Street. Um, and they, I was selling cocaine to an undercover officer and they collared me for it. So when I got bail for that, I left the country straight away, went back to Scotland. Straight how away. much cocaine? different bits um, I think it started off with a gram and then to like a, an eighth and then a quarter and then an ounce and like yeah they, how, much is, it, how much is an ounce of cocaine roughly 28 grams but how in value like how much I don't know now back then maybe about two grand two grand because yeah. there's a kind of a joke isn't there where guards kind of say we seized 10,000 euros worth of cocaine yeah. and all the comments are like I don't know where you get your cocaine but yeah. it's three times the price of my cocaine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like, I suppose they'll street value it isn't it like, they yeah. street value the yeah. shit out of it don't yeah. they don't they have they? to yeah. yeah but it makes a good headline doesn't it, it does, they're doing yeah. a great job the government are cleaning up the streets yeah. it's great I know so right you're back in then you give them the bottle of codeine and what happens next yeah, I spent eight weeks in that treatment centre learning how to live again. Um, finished my detox in there. Is um, this, a, like, when you say eight weeks, what what happens throughout the course of the eight weeks? Is there, like... I had group therapy. I Every had, day? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seven Tw- twice days. a day. Twice a day. Twice a day for five days a week. We had group therapy. And then um, I had personal therapy. And then you get involved in things within the community. So, like, there was yoga. Uh, there was drumming. Um, there was dancing. There was singing. There Did you make friends there? Yeah, I made some best friends there. I f- friends I'm still in contact with now. Like Your face lit up there when I asked yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, some really good people. Genuine friends. Never really had, like, I had friends growing up and like there's still people I, I talk to and I'm, in, I'm friendly with. But these are people that I, I connected with on a different level. Like, And are they a support network now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them would be, yeah. yeah. And... So you, you, was there a religious aspect then to your treatment? No. None at all? Are you religious? No. I'm spiritual, not religious. I believe, like, by no means what I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not religious, but I respect everyone else's religion. Like, I think there's a lot to be taken from each and every religion, but I wouldn't be sitting on one. 
yeah. No, the only reason I ask is because we have Hope House in Foxford mm-hmm. in Mayo and there's there's a quite a, a religious aspect to that treatment as well. So yeah. I was just wondering if it was the same yeah. same scenario. No, not the same scenario at all. What happens when you come out of the treatment centre? Right, the treatment centre I was in was all based around a 12-step programme. So it's all based around um, the programme of recovery that was set up through Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's, that's all based around that. We were suggested to get a sponsor and we were suggested to go to as many meetings as possible. What's a sponsor? A sponsor is someone to guide you and help you go through the work and be there for you. Um, a sponsor is someone who's walked that path and done that and been there and has recovered or is recovering. Where do you find one of them? In meetings. Okay. Yeah, go to different fellowships, different meetings, you know. So it was advised to me to get involved with a fellowship and to go to meetings and to go to 90 meetings in 90 days and get like immersed in recovery. So I did that. Um, I went to online meetings to begin with and I met a great bunch of lads and I got involved with them and it was great. I was, like my entire being was recovery. Um, it was meetings, it was talking about recovery, it was sharing messages about recovery, it was messaging people in the morning, receiving messages, it was all about recovery, it was just recovery. I immersed myself in a, a, a life of recovery for the first 90 days. And that's all I did. And that's, I, I don't think I'd be where I am now if I didn't do that. That was needed. I had to change everything. Like, and that's what I did. Like, I had to do it. And during those 90 days, did you ever get a wobble and did you ever think, I'd love a hit now? Oh, yeah. Loads of thoughts. Like, <laughs> Were you ever close to it? No. Well, how, you're always close to it, aren't you? Like, from your thought, you're, the second you have that thought, you're as close to it as you can be depending on what you do with the thought. If I feed the thought and go with it and act upon it, like I'm there. It's not that hard to get anything you want, really, is it? Like, And even I'm away from it now, I'm probably two phone calls away from being able to find something easy enough, even though I wouldn't know exactly where to go. But I'm pretty sure someone would. And you just ask enough people, they'll lead you in the right way or the wrong way, for instance. Mm. Um, so yeah, I have thoughts. <laughs> You think, most people think, oh, is it when you're feeling down and when you're depressed and say you're a bit anxious? No. At the beginning, my thoughts was when I was happy and when I was elated and I was joyful. And I was like, yeah, it's great. And the sun's shining and everything's great. Like, I love a joint now. Oh, hold on a minute. Where did that come from? <laughs> Uh-oh. For me, a joint wouldn't be a joint. A joint, I'd get high and I'd be like, that's not enough. I'm not stoned enough. I need a bag of smack. Oh, that. And then I'm gone. <laughs> you don't know what would come next from that. It's like alcohol. It's like, if I have a drink... I don't have a stop switch. You know, I'd have a drink and then the off license would close and I'd run out of drink and I'd be like, ah, and I'd do something stupid to get more drink and then I'd want cocaine and then if I had no money, I'd kidnap a drug dealer and then I'd be back to square one having to leave the country all over again. You know, that's where it goes for me. Don't do things in halves. I realise that now. So how long are you clean then? Coming up on two years. Do you call it clean or what? Yeah, clean and sober. Like, yeah, it's clean and sober. Clean and sober, yeah. Two years. Coming up on two years, yeah. So it's very new. Mm. Oh, definitely, yeah. Are you nervous? About? Are you nervous that you you could ever go back to that life? Are you ever, are you anxious that? No. No, you're not? No. Like you're, you're I'm just struggling to understand how you're so certain that you're never going back to jail and you're never going back to that life. Because I've created a life I don't want to escape from anymore. I have an amazing life. 
I do amazing things with amazing people. For instance, last night I was at a sound bath in Boyle. Like, <laughs> that, sound, that sounds boring <laughs> as fuck to me, yeah, but go on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I get that. But there's lots of things that sounded funky to me until I became open-minded to the idea of it and willing to try it. Go on, tell us. You were at a sound bath? I was at a sound bath in Boyle last night. An no, amazing I, experience. Yeah, they, they are supposed to be very good. I, Absolutely. Amazing. I've heard of them at Mount yeah. Falcon in Ballina as well. Yeah. They go out into the middle of the forest Yeah, and they do a sound bath. Yeah. And people get a lot from them. Yeah. So we do. I do I do with loads of different spiritual experiences I have. So I do cold water dips here in Sligo as well. I'm involved with a men's group. The weekend before last, we were up at a campfire up in the Glen, up in Knocknaray. Just like six lads around the campfire in the middle of the night, pitch black, roasting marshmallows. I'd never do that stuff before. That's not stuff I'd ever been involved in. I've created a really good life. I've went back to college. I got me level five in social studies. I got me level six in an introduction to um, counselling and psychotherapy. I'm doing a degree in counselling and psychotherapy. I've completed a recovery coach training course. I'm doing more recovery coach training with an academy in, in the UK. I have a life filled with really, really positive energy. The energy I have around me today is the complete opposite to the energy I, I, like, I had around me for most of my life. Like I put a lot of negativity into the world. I got a lot of negativity back. I got a lot of dark energy back. What I was doing was dark. I was destroying communities. I was creating lifestyles that were dangerous and I was dragging other people down into it. So of course I was getting dark energy back. Now I try and help as many people as I can, whether it be locally or nationally or internationally. I'm involved with different people all over the place. I do Zoom calls with people everywhere. Like, a lot of people, like, oh, talk to me about, oh, you're very open about what, what, like, where you've been and what you've done. And, like, are you sure you want to talk about things like that? I'm like, I'm open because I'm a believer that certain people maybe be living that life I was living and they're not wanting to do it anymore and they don't know what to do. Like, so I'm there if they want to get in contact or ask, like, what? What's the next steps? Where do I go? Like, I can't do this anymore. I was a very loud criminal, so I'd be a very loud, and I was a very loud addict, so I'd be a very loud recoverer. You know, I'm in recovery. I'm I'm as loud as I can be to show, like, just because people are, are doing certain things, they're not bad people, you know? There's a lot of goodness in, in a lot of people. They're just stuck in a rut, in a way of life that maybe they're not comfortable with anymore or they have to do it because they have to feed something. Is there any one crime that you regret the most? Yeah. What was that? It was, it was something that, um, it was something that I got involved in. Um, I don't know how much I can talk about it really. I was acquitted for it, but. Um, Did you hurt someone? Yeah. Yeah. I, it could have went a lot worse. Um, and that plays on your mind? Oh yeah. Yeah, that sits with me, like, yeah. Why does that one sit with you more than any, anything else? Because I lost control. And not that I had much control at the time, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a dangerous situation and it was created by me and people could have lost their lives. And I don't want to be, I don't like the idea of, I could have taken another human life and wiped someone out. I don't, that doesn't sit well with me, like, yeah. I'm not that sort of person. When we were speaking earlier on about the gun, 
it seemed to shake you a little bit. You you seemed when I brought that up, you were a different person for a minute. Yeah. What scared you about talking about that? Were you scared? Or what what was why did you change a little bit? It's like certain things you have to be careful of what you can say. You can I suppose incriminate it, yourself yeah, in the long run. I understand. Um yeah. and it brings I suppose memories back to have a time when um things could have been very different. Um again people could have been hurt. Um but at the time I didn't care. I remember, for instance, I suppose I can talk about this a little. I remember one time myself and another person in a flat offer heads and cocaine and alcohol, thinking we were Mr. Biggs. Him playing with a handgun and me playing with a shotgun, pointing them at each other and jumping around the room thinking we were fucking gangster Jimmy Jog, like you know what I mean? Just whatever, like and um at the time it seemed like, oh it was great, you know, I'm in my mint. Looking back on it now, man, could have killed each other. You know, we were out of our heads. Anything could have happened. You know. What's the most scared you've ever been? Oh. The most scared I've ever been. Because you kind of played this big man that was kind of like the man about town and everyone yeah. was afraid of you. Not everyone was afraid of me, no. Well, like, a lot of people. Was there ever... I'd like to think there was. I, I'd like to, I suppose back then at the time I would have liked to think I was. Now that could have been the delusional thinking as well. Like, Was there ever a time where you were genuinely terrified and feared for your life? Um, I suppose the time I'd be most scared it wasn't in fear of my life I was in the prison system in 06 and my dad was going in for a triple heart bypass and I was in a different country and there was nothing I could do completely out of my control didn't know if I'd ever see him again our relationship wasn't great at the time anyway it was it was okay but it wasn't good father-son relationship that was terrifying that was very very terrifying in fear of my life um I don't know really to be honest nothing jumps out at me there was a time where someone tried to slash me in a shower in Berlin prison um, but that was more of a reaction like I had more of a reaction to it a guy jumped the fella who was trying to slash me like my back was turned I was in a shower and I heard a scuffle behind me and I turned around and one of my mates had the other fella on the ground with the razor and he said right get out of here so I left but I didn't even have time to feel why was he trying to slash you? because we had a fight in the yard and he would have been a well-known gangster from Glasgow and that wasn't acceptable for this nobody. Right, so he had to put manners on you. Oh yeah, he had to teach me a lesson. Like, yeah. So you must have been shitting it for a few days after that. It wasn't too bad because the guy that stopped him from doing it was another well-known gangster. So, like, that he was on of, your side? Yeah, so that kind of put it to the point where like, you know, that you can't do that type thing. So I was okay. Yeah. That's really interesting that one of the the most scary times of your life was when, when your dad was going into hospital and you couldn't get out of prison. Yeah. There's nothing I could do. I wasn't, I wasn't even in the same country. It was a solicitor who told me about it. My solicitor had to tell me, your father's going in for a, a big operation. Yeah. Do you think that maybe you just had no concept of fear because you were so high all the time? Mm. Do you think you should have been a little bit more... Yeah, there's like... When I talk Fearful. to people, when I talk to people about certain things that have happened within my life and things I've been involved in, they're like, what the? They're shocked. Like, yeah, because like your I'm, story scares the living bejesus out of me. Right. And I, it's just really interesting for me to talk to you and for you not to have any kind of, any concept of fear whatsoever. I was conditioned to it. Hmm. It's how it was. Like, it's what I knew from a very, very young age, you know. 
there was times, I suppose, like, yeah, there would have been fear there. Like, without doubt, there was fear, but not how you described it. Does that make sense? Not yeah. how, like I was in complete fear for my life where I was froze up. No, I kind of just rolled with it. Like, it's it was an everyday occurrence. There was something happening every day. Like, in the prison in Glasgow, and was the worst prison I've ever been in, right? So when that door opened, someone was getting thrown off a balcony, someone was getting slashed, someone was getting murdered. Like, it's just how it was. It was a very dangerous system. So, like, you're How often were edge. those incidences? Daily. Daily? Daily. Jesus. Daily. It's the A-Hall in Glasgow in Berlini prison. It, the prison, right, what they call it in Scotland is the dumping ground of the SPS. So the SPS is the Scottish prison system. They call that hall, hall, the dumping ground of the SPS. So it's where any other prison can't handle a prisoner, they throw them there. That's where I was put. How did you survive that? <laughs> By the skin of my teeth, I suppose. By being a likable character. I don't yeah. know. Possibly. Licking like, hole. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Just getting involved with the right people and keeping my nose clean and just not getting involved in shit I had no right or no no reason to be involved in. And just getting through. And I was Irish. And I loved the Irish. You just keep the head down. <laughs> to a point, yeah. You don't really look Irish, though. You, <laughs> have, a, you have a Mediterranean <laughs> look to you. Yeah. But the, li- the likable Irish, that's what got you through there. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And just like when, that, that question of... Um, Oh, who do you support? Celtic or Rangers? Oh, first shit. question you get in. First question they ask you when you get into that system. Like, neither. 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 It's like in Father Ted. Uh, one priest says to the other priest, Blur Oasis. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's terrified. <laughs> he's terrified to answer. Blur. What? Oasis, Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> Same kind of thing, but a bit more dangerous repercussions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like, yeah, I just, I suppose I got conditioned to that way of life where, um, other people would see it as terrifying. I didn't really, it's not that I didn't see it as terrifying. It's not that I was this big hard man or anything like that. It was just that this was, these traumatic incidences occurred so often on a daily basis inside and outside prison systems that I just became so used to them. It became a day of life. Like it was just how it was. What happened to the, um, the, what do you call it? The thing in Ireland where the warrant, what happened to the warrant in Ireland? Right. Well, um, is that still active? No, God, no, thank God. No, okay. I have no warrants. Now I'm clean. Right, but, but what happened to that? It went to court and um, it, I got, it, I, it was found favourable. It was struck out pretty much. It was 14 so years old. So basically the judge said, you're, you've come over here, you've sorted yourself out. Pretty much, We'll yeah. give you another chance. Pretty much, yeah. Well, isn't that very impressive? Yeah. Very, like, yeah. But it was, it was very old. It was, um, yeah. It is what it's like. But it, but it, like you say, it was very old, but there was hard evidence. Oh, yeah, there was pictures, like, yeah. 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 You were the man that was there doing what you were yeah. doing. And effectively, you got off then because of, you've you've turned your life around, is it? Or Pretty much, I think, yeah. yeah. There was a good case that, like, there was, it wasn't within the public's interest to go and put me back in a system I just came, come out from. Over. I haven't been in in a couple of years and I've completely changed my life and I'm now trying to help others. Right. That's not within the public's interest to do something like that. I would think. And when was that struck out? Um, 2020, was it? No, that was struck out last year. Last year? Yeah. So that was hanging over you the whole time? Yeah. You didn't know if you were going to be thrown back into the system or not? Yeah. And then I had another one hanging over me in Scotland that was only sorted out this year. And I went to Scotland and I went with a lot of paperwork to say what I've done and what I've achieved and how I'm going. And and that then I got a, a fine and got an order then. And um, You didn't have to do that though, did you? No. But I did. I have to clear away the wreckage of the past. I can't. 
be a good human, be a good person if I've still got all this shit behind me, like, and I'm still jumping and diving and ducking and looking over my back and afraid to land a plane. Like, I can go anywhere now, anywhere within reason that'll give me a visa, obviously. But I've nothing over my shoulders now. I'm in a position that I've never been in my entire life. I don't have to worry about getting shot or stabbed or people attacking me or like if the guards are coming after me or what did I do yesterday or oh, did I say this to this person or did I say that to that person I'm not hiding anything like it's I'm just at ease do you ever worry about what people think of you what people think of me is none of my business where would, like what difference is going to make to me you know I couldn't care less and not in a bad way either like but it's not going to stop me from doing what I do like you know um yeah, it's none of my business. Let them think what they want to think. It's not going to affect me. And if it does start affecting me, it means I'm in a bad mind space. It means my mindset isn't straight and I need to do something about it to fix it. And that's okay. So I suppose, yeah, there is times when I'd be thinking, oh, I wonder what they're thinking about me. And it's like, who cares? Who cares what they're thinking about you? You know what I mean? Most people are wrapped up in their own life anyway and too busy doing their own shit to care about anyone else. Like, I love that. I love that. Uh, but there's, there's probably been moments where you've been in Sligo sitting down in a coffee shop or a restaurant and you feel like your man over there is giving me a second look or a third look. Yeah, I've, there's been moments where I'm like, oh, and like, I, I, you'd get the second look or the third look and I'm like, oh, have I done something to them? Oh no, is there something going on here? Like, or, And then it's like, you have to tell yourself, who cares? Shut up. If there is, he'll come over and talk to you. And if you have done something, he'll apologise. And that's what it is. You can't, I can't. I tell myself continuously, I can't change what I did and what I was involved in. All I can do is do the next right thing going forward every day, do something better. And if something comes up in my path that someone's angry or annoyed with me or something that happened on in the past, all I can offer is my sincere apology and ask them what I can do for them to make that better. That's it. Do you ever have um, nightmares or kind of PTSD about anything that ever happened in the past? Yeah, the odd time, not hugely. Now, at the beginning, yeah, the first eight months of been clean and sober, yeah. Had uh, waking up with sweats and waking up thinking I was in a system. I was like, I was involved in something or I was back where I was or I was in a crack den or like I just done something daft, something silly. And it'd be like, take a moment, go, you're okay. It's okay. The more I got in touch with myself and my higher self and the energies around me, the less that happens and the less that occurs. Like so, the more spiritual experiences I'm involved in, the better I, the healthier I am. Like, and that's okay. I've accepted it. It's about accepting what it is, and it's I can't change any of it. And about reassuring myself that that's not where I am now, and it's not where I'm going. So it's not going to happen again. It's okay. You know, there's, yeah, I have to do personal therapy for the the training I'm doing with the psychotherapy. So I suppose as time goes by and different things happen, it'll be things I talk about and things I'll, you know, try and work through and maybe stuff will come up again. Maybe I'm still a little numb because I'm only two years off the, the drinking drugs. Maybe, who, who's to know, maybe in a year things might change again for me and my head might go a bit funny like, but I have the tools to help myself today. I don't have to, my solution isn't drinking drugs today. I have other solutions, you know, thank God. Are you working at the moment? I am. What do you do? <laughs> I'm a, a receptionist and a tattoo removal technician. So I'm a laser technician for tattoo removals. I'm a receptionist and I do my own recovery coaching as well. So I have a recovery coach business I do on the side as well, which I've set up and I'm trying to build as well. What's that called? That's called Your Paste Recovery. Right. 
And do you have a website? I do indeed. What's it called? It's yourpacerecovery.com. You are. You are pace. You, you recover. Are. I, I call it your pace recovery because, and I started with the you are, as in it's you are, so your recovery, you are, and it's your pace because you recover at your pace. It's not a blanket fit, not what wor- might work for you mightn't work for me. What works for me mightn't work for the next person. So we recover at our own pace and there's no race and there's no rush to it and we do things at the levels that that person's at and take things from where that person's reality is. So what they've got around them now, we work from there. So you've done, you, you've done no re- rehabilitation in prison at all. You done no upskilling or education or rehabilitation. At all. Different courses in there, like, but they weren't. Like, not with this in mind. No, God, no, no. no. no so this no. has all just happened in the last two years. Oh yeah, this is all in the last two years. Yeah, I, and a lot has happened in the last two years. Yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah, and continues to happen. That's impressive. Thank you. Do you take a minute, like, because even when I was speaking to you before we we came on air this morning, I had said to you, there's people on social media a long time with people with big followings on Instagram and big followings on Facebook that then go, take to TikTok and just can't. It just can't take for it can't take yeah. off for them, but it took off for you. Instantly, yeah. Yeah, and do you ever take a moment to, to kind of say, "Geez, I've done well here." Not really, to be honest. I I don't. It it's it's over my head. It's uh, look. I went on to TikTok and with the with the idea of just getting other people to hear where I've come from, like how it was and where I come from. Now, I suppose on TikTok, you have to be careful what you say and how you. Like, yeah, there are certain things I suppose you can't go into too much depth and detail about things or, or the video won't get aired, mm. which is fair enough. I understand that. You have to have some sort of security measures for, for different people that are going to see the video. But yeah, I just went on and I was just myself. I just sat down. There was no gimmicks about it. I couldn't edit a video if you paid me to. So I used to sit down on my chair, press record, talk and say good good night and press stop. Yeah. And that was it. And it started getting huge views. But that's brilliant. And people can take a lesson from that because that's how it should be. Yeah. It shouldn't be over edited. It shouldn't be overproduced. It should be just yeah. natural. And whether you're in a shop in Sligo trying to sell orchids or you're trying to sell recovery, yeah. it should just be natural yeah. and should be you. And that's why it worked for you. But that's why it worked. People connected with me. There was no gimmicks about it. But people connected more with the jail stories did they oh yeah and yeah. and did that did that put you off it then yeah why because i found myself getting wrapped like so i i've addiction i'm i'm an addict well i'm a recovering addict i don't like to call myself an addict because i don't use substances and alcohol right but i have all the traits so just because i'm not using drinking drugs doesn't mean i don't have the traits so the traits for me are obsessional so if there's something that is giving me joy and like ease and like comfort and, and i'm enjoying it i i could get slightly over obsessed with it and I have to be careful with it so TikTok I was getting lots of followers and likes and I was seeing the video was reaching loads of people and it was great and I was happy and I was like oh this is great and I'm doing so well and loads of people are hearing a message and loads of people are messaging me and they're going to change and this is great and I'm achieving a goal here and I'm reaching out to people and then I noticed like the videos that I talk about been in prison and crime and dangerous stuff we're getting more views than the videos I talk about love, caring, empathy, being kind to random people on the street and showing them kindness and care and holding doors open for people and smiling at people and just giving something nice to someone. You never know what they're going through. And them views weren't getting much. So then I, I started getting obsessed with the views and the likes and the clicks and got to a point where I was going to like 
start making videos and try and reel people in talking about the, the drink and the drugs and the crime and how bad it was and then like switch it over to like and now you can be lovely and caring and empathy and I was like that's not me that's bullshit like that's not authentic so I pulled myself off and I stopped TikTok um, I stopped really sharing things on TikTok and sharing things on Instagram because I needed to find the balance for me there's no point in me going on there right and continually doing this while all this is going on in the background and me not being authentic I'm not going to help anyone I'm just it's I'm just bullshit. Sorry for the language, but it's just bullshit. And I'm trying to help people recover and be authentic and find their authentic self while I'm bullshitting the life out of it. Like, that doesn't work. So for me to help anyone, I have to take a step back, sort my own shit out, give myself a bit of a wobble and go, right, look, and I'm there, and I, I've, I've finally got there to the point where I realise, right, look, this isn't about the amount of people that hear it. It's about who sees it, who can connect with it. And out of 10,000 if one person, it'll be amazing. Out of a, like a thousand, if one person, it's amazing. It's just about someone, anyone getting something from it. That's why I started it. So why should it change? That's how it needs to continue. You're doing well to have all your brain cells. Oh God, yeah. I don't have my entire nervous system. I have like my right side of my body. Um, I've a lot of feeling gone in my right hand. I've lost a lot of feeling in my right hand and my leg has shakes and like nervous quivers down my leg, my right leg. Um, but I'm told that that will come back and that's just from the crack cocaine, the abuse that I've given my body. But yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm blessed. I don't have any kidney problems. I don't have any liver problems. I don't have any heart problems that I know of, thank God. So I'm doing all right. Like. There's only two or three years in the difference between me and you. And when I was 17, 16, 17, I was DJing a lot. And, and just to set the record straight, I've never tried drugs, thank mm. God. I've never tried a cigarette. I've never tried a drug. Uh, I have drank, but I don't drink very much. And I just, I hate what it does to you the next day, yeah. to be honest with you. I just hate that. Um, and where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. When I was DJing in nightclubs at 17, 18, 19, ecstasy was everywhere. Oh, yeah. And there was mitzies and there oh, was yeah, yeah. all these different symbols on yeah, the tablets. Doves and double mitzies Doves, and stars. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get caught up in that? Oh, yeah. Like, like we've only got it. Like, there's only a little bit of my story that able, I suppose we've been able to talk to. I could talk to you for a day or two about but there was, everything. It was like a fad. Wasn't it? It was like it's the, not like a fad. It was like it was the I've country. never heard of ecstasy. I, I haven't heard of them in the last few years. Oh, well, they're still around. Yeah, I'm but sure they are. Yeah. But, but back then, the ecstasy then it was the, the country. Co- was the cocaine now? Yeah, without doubt. Yeah, definitely. That's how it was. Yeah, but now the and what's next? So the cocaine oh, now is going to be the crack next. Oh yeah. Oh, that's common, and you can see it in Dublin, and it's dangerous, and I'm terrified. Like I'm genuinely like I I don't say this lightly. Like I have seen that destroys so I was in Aberdeen in Scotland wealthy city full of oil workers and gas workers and I've seen it decimate the the, 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 the city the people the community the loved ones families crack cocaine decimated them because when you're sniffing so much cocaine and it's falling out your nose and you're not getting a hit off it and you're just not getting it and someone introduces you to crack and says, oh, this is going to be a bit better. Like, but it's not crack and don't think about it as the street, right? It's free base. You know, we call it that free base. So it's got a fancy little name to it. But like, don't think about 
what you see on TV is crack cocaine. This is different, you know. We'll cook it up here in front of you. We'll make it for you, you know. And then we'll teach you how to make it. So, so a friend introduces them to it. The second they hit that, like, that's it. All bets are off. You're done. You're gone. I don't care who you are. Like, you could be the strongest, most will, willing person in the world. Like, when that substance hits your body, you don't have control. You're gone. It's, it just takes over. Your life is finished. Your life is finished, yeah. Now, you might be lucky enough not to get involved to be able to have it again but the second that you're able to get a supply of that or create it yourself from the cocaine you get now it's not very hard I won't go into it but if you can buy cocaine you can make crack if you're able to do that that's it it's all bets are off it's you're, you're, it will steal it will steal everything from you like I made a video of, called the crack hold and what it can do and what it'll do to you like and it, it stole everything from me it took everything it took any like as much as I was involved in crime and I was involved in drugs and that crack was a different different story it was on another level like it was yeah it's it stole my life like like no it didn't steal my life i gave it my life what should we be doing so because you can see this this uh it's going to be a pandemic yeah yeah you can see it coming yeah it's already here yeah. it's a bit like let's go back to covid19 and we were all here in march going we're going to shut the country down for two weeks and then we ended up shutting the country down for two years yeah. what should we be doing now more awareness as much awareness as absolute possible. Like, what's awareness going to do? Like, is it going to stop a drug it's dealer? It's not going to stop a drug dealer. No, it's not it going, going to stop a drug dealer. Is it going to stop a drug addict who's on cocaine and is just not getting the same buzz from cocaine anymore? It might. There's no one to say that it will, and there's no one to say that it won't. Would it have stopped me? I don't know. Like, I knew about the dangers of crack. I knew about it, but I was around it. So, like. I don't, I genuinely, to be honest, I don't know the, the, the answer to that. But but it scares my, you. It terrifies me, yeah. I've seen it, I've lived it, I've been there. That's why, that's why it, I'm passionate about it. I've lived it. I see what happens. So like, if there's, if, if I can tell my story to 10 people and one person, like 10 people who are maybe looking at crack or involved in cocaine to a level where it's just not doing what it used to do to them and the toss a crack and maybe one or two of them don't take crack so if that can be done on a, a wider scale by other people who've been down the road I've been down and we're able to put a message out of awareness to say look this is what's this is what's happening this is what it'll do to you might sound like a good idea or seem like a good idea now to get off you're not but this is what that substance is going to do to you it's going to strip you and I'll show them pictures of me of how how it left me like it's what you see in front of you here is not the person that was that crack cocaine left two years ago I was a shell and maybe it'll just give someone a second thought to a hold on a minute you know maybe I could just go and talk to someone or get a bit of help you know yeah. ring a treatment centre or ring a counsellor I'd love to see you talking to teenagers I'd love to because I, I've often wanted to speak to teenagers but I suppose I don't know if I had the, the courage or the structure mm. because they're, I'd love to talk to them about the pitfalls of social media yeah. because being on social media and having a couple of hundred thousand followers and a podcast that gets all these views and downloads. With that comes this huge, uh, overwhelming anxiety from messages you get. Yeah. You know, and people tearing you to shreds and messages that have no name or photo on their profile. And yeah. some of them do have names and, and, and profiles. But I think at the minute now, kids are mad to be YouTubers and mad to be Instagrammers. And all yeah. they see is free stuff and free hotels and free this yeah. and free that. But they don't see... Number one, the work that goes into it. And number two, all the negative side. Yeah. There's a huge negative side. Like, uh, you know, even even dating. It's very hard for me to date someone. It's very yeah, hard for me. Because of a public profile. It's very hard yeah. for me to, to go out on a date 
number one and enjoy the date without people looking at you or messaging you or coming over talking to you in the middle of the day which mm. which you don't mind which is lovely but at the end of the day you're here on a first date with somebody and you're thinking she's gone now she doesn't want this yeah. do you know what I'm I mean why are they here yeah and then the, just the the life itself of going into shops and always being like I see there you know you were talking about getting messages and, and it triggered something in my head you'd often get a message or somebody send you a message saying, oh my God, Peter, you're brilliant and your page is amazing and you're the best thing I've ever seen. In six months' time, that same person will tear you to shreds for something you've said. And this is what I'm saying to people. So 70% of the lovely messages I get will turn nasty. 30% of them are genuinely lovely, (coughs) genuinely nice people who support you since the start. But the other 70%, I can show you threads where they start off lovely and then something will trigger where you'll do something with your dog or you'll do something in your car, you'll do something here. But that's not anything you've done. No, no, no. But that person will turn on yeah. you just as, as quick as that. But, like, but for but, something like that, it's like, are you okay? Yeah. Because something's happened that's that's created that. Something's happened, whether it's a jealousy or whether something's happened within their life. So like the easy thing for that is like a genuine, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's, it is genuine. I know, like, it yeah. makes sense what you're saying, yeah. yeah. But but you'll, but you'll what I'll find is I'll take that to bed with me and I'll I'll replay it a yeah. hundred times in my head before I can come to terms with the, oh no, there's something not right with them. Yeah. There's see, something off with them yeah. or they're having a bad day or blah, blah, blah. But see, I'm lucky. I've, I've created and I've built and I've got the tools for that stuff. Yeah. Right? So that's what recovery has given me. Recovery has given me the tools for that because what you're talking about there would be a daily occurrence for me in everyday life. Like I go down the street and I'd say hey to, to Joe on the road and Joe could be mixed up in his own shit and not say hey to me and I could take that like for the next two days going, what did I do? Did I say something? I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? No, that's where it comes in. It's like acceptance. Like I and, accept that that's how it is. And the reason I'm talking about the schools now and going in talking to schools yeah. is because I've done a few teenage discos lately with uh, Garen and a few other Dave Duke and uh, I've been involved in them. And 90% of the kids at these teenage discos have these vapes. Yeah. And like you have to say to yourself, that's the start of it. Oh, yeah. Whether now that might sound extreme, no, some people, some is. people might be listening to this and go, "Dash, stop!" Now you're saying Mary's going to be on crack cocaine when she's seventeen. If she's fourteen at a teenage disco on a vape, something yeah. that she does not need whatsoever, yeah. that is scary, terrifying. And I can guarantee you, ninety percent of them have them in their pocket. Oh yeah, and I, I wouldn't say the percentage of it but a lot of that is going to go on to use another substance no I'm not saying they're all going to go on to crack cocaine no terrible, but it'll be alcohol going, or yeah, it'll be alcohol or it'll be cannabis or it'll be cocaine or it'll be MDMA or ketamine ketamine seems to be growing a large following over here and in the UK so it'll be something like if if, if they're if, if it's easy enough and okay for them to, to have a strawberry flavoured vape in their mouth mm. and a group of six of them are doing it one out of that six is going to come across someone selling or involved in cannabis yeah. and majority of cannabis dealers are involved in cocaine so you're like you're only one step removed from a really really bad situation it's terrifying there's an alleyway in Ballina where and I'd be in Ballina a couple of days a week and I'd park in this car park and people in Ballina will know where this is but there's an alleyway that then goes from the car park out to the main street but halfway through the alleyway there's a courtyard And there's all these kids that hang around there in their school uniforms. And the last day I was walking through with somebody and they were all vaping and there's music. There's a little speaker going and they're all and it seems to be fairly harmless fun. They're all just there. There's music blaring and there's chewing them all over the footpaths and they're all vaping. And that's fine. But the last day we went through this bang hit me in the face. And I was like, what the hell is that? Weed. 
And the fella that was with me goes, that's weed. That's cannabis. Yeah. And I'm, they were in school uniforms. And then I said, uh, and this was kind of me being the, the kind of busybody going like, Jesus, we should ring the guards or like, what, like <laughs> what, what can we do about that? Yeah. And then he goes, but you look, Alan, there's a camera up there. And you, when you look up, there's a, a CCTV town camera. Watching them. Watching the courtyard. Of course, yeah. And they're all smoking weed. Yeah, but like, what harm are they doing to everyone else around them? And what resources have the police to cut down and crack down on a bunch of kids smoking a bit of weed when they haven't committed a crime as such? Like, yeah, yeah, it's illegal to be involved in the taking of substances. But like, you've got to think about the resources police have. Have they got the resources to go down and lecture a bunch of kids that kids are probably just going to see them as a third of figures who don't know what and they're just cramping their style? So yeah, that's where, like, I have done talks. I have done a talk over in the college, local college here, the PLC college here. And I started off by showing them a picture on, on, on a big projector. I, I set up a, a PowerPoint that I do with them. It's about the dangers of alcohol and cocaine. And at the very start of this PowerPoint, I introduced myself as, I am Peter, and this was me. And it's a picture of how I used to look and a picture of how I look now. Two sets of that. And it gives them the, oh shit, this fella's real. Like, like this fella's like, oh my God. Okay, hold on. And you can see them, they, they, they tune in. Imagine a cop going in there and going, oh, do you know the dangers of cocaine, lads? Yeah, very dangerous. They'd be like, oh, shut up, will you? Come on, when's this fella going to go out? Pull out the phone and watch on TikTok. I'm not listening to this fella. Not one person was on a phone. I did that four times in a day, four 40-minute slots. They tried to get all the PLCs in. So that's kids and people. Um, do you do that for free? Oh, yeah. Sure. But you shouldn't, though. Why? Why should you? Why shouldn't I? Because this is, this is another thing I have issue with, is there's people getting paid for a lot less. And? Do you know? And so what? Like it's life. No, but like you, you're providing a service. Yeah, that I want to provide, that I want to do. Now, if we got to a point where like there's seven but, colleges onto me for a solid week, more, I'd be like, right, hold on a second. Motivational speakers something. get paid. <coughs> yeah, I know they get paid big money, but like. And I'm not saying big money, but like yeah, it should at least be covering your costs. I'm not saying here go in and charge five grand, but I'm saying yeah, but, it, you should get a day rate, whether it's a hundred euros. I or, wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it. Genuinely, wouldn't take it. I, I approached the school for me to do it. Right? Okay. Like, I approached the school. That's fine. Okay. And then from that, an, a person within the school approached me and says, would you do one in, in Ballyshannon? And I said, of course I would. And he'll go, I'll talk to the PTA and we'll see if we can cover your costs. I said, listen, don't worry, it's up the road. Like, it's a half an hour up the road. I'll happily do it. I have no problem doing these things, right? All, the, the amount of stuff I've taken from society and the shit that I've caused and created within society, this is the least I can do. I'm happy to do this. If one person in that audience decides to make a change, like make a difference, not like if they're out and they're, they're, they're drinking and they're sniffing coke and then someone offers them something and they're like, you know what, no, maybe I've had enough. Maybe it's time to go home. If someone does that or if someone's even having a drink and their group is sniffing coke and this person's like, will I, won't I? Oh, I remember listening to Peter. Like, hold on a minute. This is where this leads. Oh, it mightn't be straight away, but no, do you know what? I ain't going home. See you later, guys. If one person gets that from it, I'm happy. I'm chuffed, like I'm over the moon. And from what I've created, if that's what I can now create going forward, perfect. Yeah, and that's that's very admirable, but I'd love to see someone like you, somebody who has experienced everything you've experienced, helping people on a daily basis, but also being rewarded for it. Because then that's just turning your life full circle. Like, Yeah, but you know, like it's, it is rewarding. It is so rewarding. But you can't, you can't cash that in the Bank of Ireland. You can't go in and say, how are you doing? I was rewarded no, there can, for no. speaking to teenagers. But like, I've set up this recovery coaching, right? Yeah. 
and that what I do there on on for free, and I go around to to, to like to the students and that. It might stop one of them students ever needing that service in the long run. It might stop one of them students ever needing the hospital service or the mental health service or been a drain like for alcohol related illnesses and alcohol related problems on, in A and E on the weekend. It might stop that, right? Not only that, so I'm also been rewarded so I'm going to remember that and I'm going to remember the experience and then if people come up talking to me and I'm interacting with them I'm getting experience for interacting with others within the recovery coaching section so like I might say something that mightn't work too well with that person but I'll take that forward and correct you know what don't go down that road that's maybe a bit too quick and be careful what you say on that so it is it's experience for me you know yeah I've I've loved speaking to you because I'm sitting here thinking of uh, Johnny and Mary down the road who had their car stolen with a spoon and I'm thinking oh. of uh, Peter the Russian then who has probably been bet up by somebody in a drug den in Aberdeen and I'm thinking all this wild shit that's gone on and then I'm sitting here across from this lovely fella who I think can make such a difference and it's such it's such an interesting feeling <laughs> because you kind of want to say feckin' hell you're a brat yeah. And at the same time, you want to say fair fucks to you. Stay on the fair fucks to you. <laughs> <laughs> fair fucks to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And like, I wish you all the best, Peter. I do because there's goodness in you. And I'm sure Johnny and Mary, who had their car stolen, are listening, going, "There's no goodness in that bollocks." <laughs> uh, well, I apologise, Johnny and <laughs> Mary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, look, I can't change the past. Yeah. Like, there's nothing I can do about You're it. You're at peace there. I was an asshole. You mm. know what I mean? I was I was a wild child. I was a wild teenager. I was a wild man in his 20s. I can't, and his 30s. Look, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, am I proud of it? No. Um, am I going to use it as an experience to go forward and help others maybe not go down that path or come out from that path? Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, I will. And I'll do that. I can't, like, there's nothing I can do about it. What I do now, today, if I can get to the end of today now, and I haven't hurt anyone, I haven't committed a crime, I haven't done anything bad to my family, I haven't used a substance, and I haven't drank alcohol, amazing day. Get up tomorrow, and I'll do the same again, another amazing day. That's all I can do. And if I can help someone along the way, bonus. And that's it. That's it. That's all I can do for, to make good in what I've done in the past. We won't go into details now, but that, that person I asked you about earlier on, that you said you regret. Uh, coming into contact with how are you going to get closure from that like it's not a case where you can reach out and no it's not a case I can do that Um, it'll come how I don't know it'll come I have faith it will come if it's supposed to come if if I'm supposed to feel free from those actions and those thoughts that it'll come if I'm supposed to carry that for the rest of my life to remember that this is where it leads and these are the things that you can get involved in if you go down the wrong path, well, so be it. Um, I don't know, but I can't dwell on it, but I can remember it. I can think back to it, but I don't have to live it. I don't have to relive it and go into it. But I can use it as empathy for other people who may be in that way and need a bit of a help out or someone who hasn't quite got to that yet, but I maybe depending on the person and the context they may be able to share an experience with them and say look it's going to be 20 years later and you're going to still remember this like and this is how it's going to be so yeah Peter Townsend 
Recovery Coach, your pace recovery. Uh, where can people follow you online? Oh, they can find, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, onto my website, sign up on the newsletter on the website. I'm starting to hopefully trying to re- build that up and build progress into that and um, within the website, create resources on the website that people can get meditations and uh, mindfulness exercises and gratitude exercises and journals. That's something I'm trying to do going forward. Um, but yeah, Instagram and TikTok. Um, I know I know you take one day at a time. Where do you see yourself in 12 months time? Where do you see yourself next November? Next November, I see myself in year two of my psychotherapy course with a year done and hopefully done very well at it too. Um, further on in my spiritual journey where I've experienced more things, hopefully been on a few different retreats and yeah, a few a bit better at yoga <laughs> and um, helped a few more people and the, the wish would be to have contact with my kids. That would be a wish. Whether that'll happen, I don't know. But that would be a wish. Yeah. So that's it. That's really tough. It is, yeah. It's not nice. But I've no one else to blame but myself. Do I blame myself? Not really. I do blame myself, yes. Do I feed into it? No, I don't. It, it's happened. It is. I can't. I can change it. And what I'm doing today is changing it, you know. I could create mayhem and start going over to Scotland and being an asshole and creating, oh, I, how dare you, I want to see my kids. And like, sure, I don't want my kids to see that sort of a person. That's not me anymore. It's the hurt and pain you've caused to your ex-wife that has caused the block. Yeah, yeah. And there's no repairing that. Don't know. I don't think so. Like, I've... it. it have you have you actively tried? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, we're on different pages. We're in different on different journeys. She's in a place, and I'm in another place. Uh, and what comes of it, I don't know. But you know, when the, when the universe thinks I'm ready and I'm able to have my children in my life, they'll be in my life. When the universe thinks the kids need me in their life, I'll be in their life. Everything happens for a reason. Have they ever been in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christ, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's the whole point. Like, my kids have seen... But they, could, they couldn't have been in it much, though. You've been in and out of prison. You've been in England. You've been in Scotland. Well, yeah, no, they've been, like... Where are they? They're in Scotland, in Aberdeen. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought they were here. Okay. No, no, they're not here. No, no, they're in Scotland. Yeah, they're in Aberdeen. Um, so, yeah, they've been in my life a lot. And that's kind of how this is was created. Like, they've... You know, right? So yeah. they've seen and they've oh, seen yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. They've they grew up with the house been raided, with police been involved, with like cops coming in saying that I'm they're looking for me for uh, firearms and oh, raiding the house for firearms. And my son been at school and his friends telling him they can't be his friend anymore because his dad's a cocaine dealer and all that wild kind of shit. Like, yeah, there's loads of it to it. Like, you know. So um, just don't be like that. Peter Townsend, thank you very much. I could talk to you for another two hours and I hope we can catch up again in six months or 12 months or whenever, whenever, whenever suits you. Yeah. And I I hope, I hope we've helped at least one person. Yeah. Look, and if there's someone who's listened to this and whatever situation they're in, if they want to change it, reach out. You know, if, if I'm not the person that can help, I can maybe put you in, in line to someone. Um, if you identify with any of the things I've spoke about, reach out, like, you know what I mean? It's just send me a message. You're not going to lose anything and you might gain a lot. That's it. It's not going to make anything any worse anyway, you know, if you're in a position that you're feeling a bit, oof, this could change. 
reach out, send me a message. Don't feel like, listen, this is what I tell other people as well. Like, there isn't anything you can tell me and you can say that you've done that I haven't done worse or been involved in. Like, so I am not going to be shocked. I'll never be shocked or surprised to hear anything. Like, I've, like, there is no judgment. Like, I couldn't, who am I to ever judge anyone for any behaviors, actions, or thoughts? Like, the shit that I've been through. Like, nah. So reach out, get it off your chest. Be a good person to get off your chest. Just, you know, it's how it is. I'd love to see you being the ultimate success story and turning your life around and bringing out a book and bringing out a podcast and being the motivational speaker getting paid well to give the talks. And I'd love to see that happening. But the last thing I will say to you, Peter, is please don't undersell yourself and don't think, right, because I've done all this shite and because I've been a drain and this, that and the other that I don't deserve. Because... In the world of social media and the world I've been involved in, I've undersold myself for so many months and so many years. And I have helped other businesses succeed and other people have taken advantage of me. Yeah, you've been a stepping stone. And I'm stuck here. You know, I'm not struggling, but I mean, there, there are months that are very challenging. Now, whilst I've helped in fairness like that Porsche you drove up tonight like that, <laughs> that didn't look like you were struggling like. that's Kennedy Motors <laughs> and uh, I've no and look at in the, in the same breath I've actually bought yeah, my, dr- my dream car I, I sold my car I got a really good price for it I got a few pound from the shows and I also got a car loan to top it up and uh, this week I'm buying my dream car lovely I'm slightly living beyond my means because I shouldn't really be getting a loan because I'm trying to get a house. Right. But at the same time, I said, I'm just going to buy it and I can always sell it again. Yeah. And, uh, Unless you've had it for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I've told myself in my head, and it, it's probably not a good business sense, and if Donald Byrne is listening to this now, he's my, my mentor, he'll be listening to me telling me I'm a clown. But I'm saying to myself, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't go out, I yeah. don't really go on holidays. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I love is my cars. And I've sacrificed an awful lot over the last few years. So I said, do you know what? I'm going to pay whatever it is for this car and I'm going to have it for a few months and I'm going to do it now when I have no mortgage and no kids and no responsibilities. You have to have something, don't you? Yeah. Like I could have went on the holidays to Dubai and the, you know, yeah. the fancy, the, and yeah. I don't have designer clothes. I don't, do you know? What's that other man you're wearing? No, no. This, do you know what this was? <laughs> this, is a, this is a, a hoodie from a stall in Morocco. Oh, uh, yeah, a friend, of my, a friend of mine brought this back from Morocco. Yeah, no, it's, look, whatever makes you happy to a point that isn't hurting anyone else or isn't hurting yourself. Yeah, Sorry, but that's, some, yeah. that's the last thing I'm going to say to you Go is on. just value yourself and Thank don't you. undersell yourself. Thanks, Alan. Right. Appreciate that. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Peter. Once again, I'd like to thank Peter for his time, his openness and his honesty on today's podcast. If you or anyone you know has been affected by any of the issues we spoke about today, well then I'd please ask you to log on to yourpacerecovery.com, click on more, and you'll find a list of very helpful links. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch reviewing of our show homes, a brochure or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie.